Bonjour and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our Views from the Clock End podcast. I'm joined, as always, by a chief Arsenal writer at Football.London, Kaya Kainak. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, just getting over the back end of yet another cold. But um, luckily, it's come during the international break when things are a bit more relaxed. So, yeah, really, really good. Thank you. Very excited to be back on the pod. It's been far too long since our last one. So, happy to be back here. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, equally has been surrounded by illnesses uh, in the family. It's uh, it's that period of uh, of the year clearly where uh, the it's the second winter snap. It's like got a it's a second wind after the winter, and people are feeling the bugs which are going around. But hopefully, uh, we can feel much more uh, well fitter and healthier soon, uh, especially with what is a very important ten game period for Arsenal after the international break coming up. Um, how are you coping with the international break? What are your tactics? Have you got any tips for people that, you know, are struggling for Arsenal content throughout this? I just read everything on London, of course. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and watch everything on the Arsenal way. But aside from that, oh, um, to be honest, I, I, I think it's quite nice to switch off from Arsenal for a bit and uh, take a step back. And then you really start to enjoy it when things come back. Um, you talked about the second cold snap. I can see... I think snow outside my window now, which is oh, very confusing given that it was, it's been quite warm for the past couple of days. Sorry, that's distracting snow me. But, yet. I'm, st- I'm um, still waiting. I'm further south to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It might just be rain. I might be, my eyes might be deceiving me. But um, <laughs> yes, so stare out the window, wait for, wait for the football to come back. That's what I do during the, the international break. And uh, I don't know. I think it's nice to maybe take a step back from Arsenal and also it gives you a chance to maybe dig a little deeper into some of the things uh, you might not necessarily talk about in the day-to-day for example we've had on the site an interview with Flo Balogun which is something that I know we've talked about on the pod before but in terms of really getting into the depths of that issue maybe with the the games every three four days you, you can't really do that so much so yeah it's been it's been good and another week to go and I don't know I, we, we were speaking earlier weren't we about um, England I I I tend to enjoy watching England games I mean they can be quite dull but I, I like the, uh, the sort of the circus around it who's going to play who's not going to play all that kind of stuff I get invested in it but I get that a lot of people don't yeah that's me <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's me not really it's it's very difficult for me to get into the England games that aren't a, you know aren't a tournament uh, football it's just you know for the tournaments it's you know, you, you you join up with your mates, your friends, your family. You watch the games together, celebrate them together. But qualifiers and Nations League, I just don't quite get the same. You know, it's not quite the same. So, yeah, trickier. But uh, we just kind of, for me, you know, sit with your hands and your fingers crossed, hoping that no one gets injured throughout this period is the main thing for the international break. But, yeah, if you can get outside, if it's not snowing, uh, and, you know, enjoy it's some other things. Now, now it's sunny, so it's, it's yeah, it's very... <laughs> Classic. If you can enjoy anything else, it's always a benefit. So, uh, yeah, go try and do that indeed. Um, let's talk about Arsenal, though, because, of course, there is still stuff going on uh, in the world of Arsenal. Before we left for the international break, uh, William Saliba and Takahiro Tomiyasu obviously left uh, the sporting game without any indication of when either would be back. We have got confirmation on one of those two, which is Takahiro Tomiyasu's 
undergone, uh, undergone, sorry, undergone. It sounds like a Manchester City footballer, doesn't it? Um, but uh, has undergone, oh my goodness, I'm struggling with this. He's undergone <laughs> surgery. There we go. Goodness me, I need my tea this morning. Um, but uh, he won't be back until what they describe as they're hoping he'll be back around pre-season. I had a good chat with uh, Dr. Raj Prabhra about this, and he seems to think with that kind of time frame being given about pre-season, it's not an ACL issue. It's more of an MCL issue if that's what has been damaged. So how big of a blow is this for us between now and the end of the campaign? Yeah, I think it's bigger than maybe we realise. Obviously, Takira Tomiyasu wasn't a starting right back and hasn't really been a starting defender for Arsenal regularly at any stage this season. Obviously, was last season. But this season with Ben White moving out to the right and Zinchenko playing so well on the left and Saliba and Gabriel being the first choice pick in the middle... His game time has been limited, but I think what happens when you take Takahiro Tomiyasu out of the side is you lose the options that he provides across the back line. So, for example, if if something were to happen to Alexander Zinchenko now, Mikel Arteta only has Kieran Tierney as an option. And Kieran Tierney is a very good backup option to have, but he likes those players who come in field. He likes the invertedness. And it's a similar case on the right-hand side, where if something happens to Ben White, and I know you've got a piece coming out on this today. Oh. It's out. There you go. Give it a read when you listen to this podcast. But if something happens to Ben White on the right-hand side, then Arsenal are in a bit of trouble. Obviously, they could play William Saliba out there. They could move Thomas Partey out there, as they have done in the past. But it's not ideal. And it's yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting, an interesting one to see how Arsenal cope with it because he's, I think, more important than Arsenal fans realise in terms of his impact on the squad, just because he provides that safety net and. The injury situation at the back now is a little bit more concerning now that they don't have him to call on between now and the end of the season. So I think it's a bigger blow than we realise. And I think as the the next 10 weeks pass, I think we'll really come to see that. Yeah, I agree. Um, He is probably the most versatile player in the team in terms of the positions on the field that he can occupy. Um, And when you lose someone like that, it's obviously a big blow because you lose cover and back up to multiple positions. And that is going to be a frustration. And Ben White, as you mentioned, is is the obvious concern now. If we lose him, there isn't anyone. We've sent Cedric, of course, on loan to Fulham. So you've not got the third choice either. Who would you lean towards out of interest? If you had to pick one, say White's not available for Leeds and Tommy Asu's out, who are you going for? It's tough. It's really tough. I think Zinchenko could do a decent job on the right side of the fence. He's so two-footed and he's so technically adept that I think you could put him there and it wouldn't make too much of a difference but um, none of it would be ideal I remember there was a game when uh, Atletico Madrid played Arsenal in the uh, Europa League semi-final I think it was Wenger's last season and uh, their right back got sent off pretty early on and Thomas Partey got moved to right back and did a very very good job in that game so he could do it but none of it's ideal and yeah Arsenal are now in a situation with obviously Cedric being out on loan and uh, Tommy Asu being out for the rest of the season where they are, yeah, looking at, um, you know, make do amend at right back. I don't think Ruel Walters being promoted is, is necessarily realistic. I, that's not me saying that I don't think he's a good player because I think he's a really talented right back and I think he'll become a, a good player either at Arsenal or elsewhere. But we've seen how Mikel Arteta feels about throwing youngsters in in these situations. Last season, he had five or six youngsters on the bench at a time, never used any of them. I can't see him using Ruel Walters this time around. 
just uh, there's always kind of a big um pile on to see youngsters used at times but the gap between senior and youth football is so big I think sometimes it's underrated the gap in, in competition and the level of quality the speed of the game the quickness of thought that you need um that quickly we can get we can miss you know how difficult a step up it is players manage it and that's why you get very special players like Bukai Saka and Smith Rowe that are able to do it but there's also a big reason why they're kind of, you know, they're, they're a rare breed of the hundreds that make it through the academy. Only very few make it to the top level and and we have to be aware of that fact. So, yeah, for me, it would be Saliba, I think, would, would come in. I think he stylistically fits the system, obviously, the most. Um, I know that there's uh, hesitation. It's probably the polite way to put it on your end regarding Rob Holding going into the uh, the right centre-back spot. Um but yeah, it's it's about that having that solid foundation and making us as, as solid as possible at the back and having the forwards do what they do and, and hopefully carrying us through. Fingers crossed we won't have to deal with it is, is, is the big thing. We don't want to see Ben White injured. But uh, I think there are going to be games maybe where we have to manage his minutes um, and we have to manage the amount of time on the field. And so for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of the game, we might need to take Ben White off and move somebody somewhere so that we can accommodate a little bit of rest. But We'll cross that bridge when it comes. You said you spoke to uh, following Balogun, of course, in an interview which you can find on the Football.London website. He's had a bit of an interesting international break so far. Um, the American supporters have been like really kind of uh, tuning into their transfer window Google Maps abilities, uh, which we've seen us obviously track plenty of transfer targets throughout the years, to, to discover that he was in Orlando um, and, of course, immediately putting two and two together and, and coming up with the answer that that must mean that he's choosing the United States. What's your latest kind of view of this situation and, and Balogun's potential choice on his hands? He pulled out of the England under-21 squad with an injury, of course, mm. and uh, there was that Instagram story he put up almost immediately after the England senior team squad was announced, saying, go where you're, you feel appreciated, I think was what it says, or in life, yeah, go where you feel that. appreciated, something like that. So that does seem to suggest that he was maybe frustrated about missing out on the England squad, but I don't know if it was related to something else, and you know, probably best not to speculate too much on that front. Uh, I think if America can get him, that would be a really good coup for them because he is a good striker. He's a very good player. He's going on to even bigger and better things. And if you look at that American side, uh, if you look at the creative players they've got behind him, Tim Weyer, uh, Pulisic at Chelsea, obviously Gio Reyna at, at Dortmund, does, you know, as much as there are problems with him and the American national team, there are definitely great attacking players. Brendan Aronson, who's at Leeds as well, is a, is a decent creative player too. Musa. McKenney, all those kind of players in behind someone who can score like Flo Balogun. And you've got a decent team coming up. Obviously, America are in the unique position that they are hosting the next World Cup. So they want to try and get a team together over the next four years that's ready to compete and hopefully, you know, progress relatively well in that tournament. They did okay at the World Cup. Um, they got to the round of 16. They gave Holland a decent run for their money. But I think their biggest problem was toothlessness. And Flo Balogun would obviously be a solution to that. And yeah, I think it'd be a really smart coup if they can get him. Um, whether Balogun wants to hold on and wait a little bit longer and potentially take that England spot where you look and you see Harry Kane is now the wrong side of 30. Uh, beyond him, Ivan Tony's doing well this season. But again, <laughs> pardon me, is he a long-term solution at centre-forward? I don't know. Beyond that, Callum Wilson... Uh, I'm losing track of English centre-forwards, Tammy Abraham, all of those kind of things. And you look at those kind of players and Balogun might back himself to to get ahead of them once the, the vacuum at the, the centre-forward position becomes available. So 
it's an interesting decision for him. It's a big decision. I think if he wants to get lots of international minutes and play World Cups and all that kind of stuff, then go play for America. Of course, he can also play for Nigeria as well. So plenty of big decisions for him. And um, it'd be interesting to see what he does. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, uh, speaking to a couple of people out in the States, they feel as though he doesn't necessarily need to rush this decision uh, at the moment. And it's something that even though they would love to see him, you know, choose the United States because their options up to him, they've got someone like Timothy Weyer, who's an exciting young player as well. But, you know, having someone as good as Balogun already that's putting in goals in in one of the top five leagues, playing for Arsenal at the moment and, and having that pedigree would be a big, big boost to them and their hopes for for that tournament. Um, yeah, it's one of those, it's it's ironically like you look at certain nations and they have such good talent throughout the midfield and sometimes the defence, but it's always kind of that lacking of an obvious striker. The United States feel that way. Another nation that kind of feels that way has been Denmark recently, uh, a team that have produced some really good central midfielders uh, and some plenty of good defenders as well. But I've always kind of lacked that number nine of late. We've seen Kasper Dolberg come through and not necessarily do it. We've seen uh, Poulsen, who used to be at RB Leipzig. Um, but now they look like they might have a striker in Erasmus uh, Hoyland, sorry, who is very, very interesting uh, forwards, currently at Atalanta. He has been linked to Arsenal. Italian media has suggested that Arsenal are one of the teams interested in him. And with Balogun's situation, as we've just discussed, it creates an interesting dynamic around whether or not Arsenal's striker interest will exist this summer. How do you kind of see or how do you view in your view what Arsenal should and could do in the striker market in the summer? Um, I'd have to say I'd be surprised if Arsenal went in for a centre-forward this summer, given that the options that they have in that area, Eddie Nketiah has done well this season, Trossard's done really well as a false nine, uh, obviously Gabriel Jesus and following Balogun potentially coming back, they look pretty set up front. If they were to go into the market in the forward areas, I'd expect it to be more for a wide player. But again, Arteta doesn't want players who play in one position. He wants players who play in multiple positions, which is why Trossard was such an exciting target for them and why they were tracking him so intently for a while because he can play anywhere across that front line and he can play in midfield too. So I'd be surprised, I think, if I saw Arsenal uh, sign a, a forward in the transfer window coming up, but you know they've surprised us before. I, I didn't think they'd sign. Pardon me, I didn't think they'd sign a, a left centre back in the uh, January window, and they went and did it. So you know these things happen. Um, in terms of positions, I'd expect Arsenal to look to strengthen in this summer. I'd expect a fullback and a midfielder, potentially a centre back too. That would be the area I think you'd expect Arsenal to look to strengthen in going forward. But I don't think um, you know I've seen the Hoyland links. I personally haven't heard anything concrete enough to suggest. That there's you know there's there's legs in them. Not saying that they're not true, but I just haven't heard it myself. And I think I'd be surprised if Arsenal committed a big chunk of money because it would cost a lot of money to bring a player like him in, with the hype around him and how well he's doing at Atalanta and Atalanta obviously wanting to make a good good profit off of him. So I'd be surprised. I think if Arsenal went and signed a forward this summer, yeah. 
Lastly, before we move on to a longer extended international break section of questions, um, Nuno Tavares, uh, a player, of course, that's away from the club this season on loan at Marseille. Um, interesting comments, obviously, that have come out this week. I believe it was the uh, RMC uh, reporter um, who just spoke about him being too inconsistent, said that he's not going to work out, suggested that he's kind of he's seen as a bit unreliable. What do you view? Tavares regarding his loan deal and what problem might Arsenal have with him in the summer? Well, it all started so well, didn't it, for Nuno? Uh, obviously, he got all those goals at the start and I think everyone was thinking, wow, this is a really good move for him. He's going to become a really good player and deliver on the potential that I think we all saw when he was in Arsenal shirt. It's just, unfortunately, there were times where maybe he lacked the consistency required to, to really deliver on that potential. And I think that problem has, has apparently, and I haven't watched him regularly enough to say with you know a definitive answer, but that seems to have uh, been an issue again. But despite that, he's still scoring lots of goals for Marseille, and I think he's one of the highest scoring defenders in Europe. And I think that wing back position they've got him playing in their in their back five system does suit him. It doesn't seem like they'd be able to afford him as well. I think is the problem because I think financially, maybe they're not as. Uh, uh, as as wealthy as teams like in the Premier League. So you look towards other teams who maybe might be able to afford him at a price that Arsenal would want to sell at because Arsenal obviously are in a strong position where he's got three years left on his deal and they're in no need to to sell. So it'll be interesting. I also, part of me wonders whether the Takahiro Tomiyasu injury will impact on Arsenal's decision at the left-back and all those kind of things. They're, they're, they're different types of players and maybe Arteta wants different players to sort of plug into different positions to suit different, you know, opposition issues that they all throw up but yeah it's it's an interesting one to watch um I think you know he's as things stand set to return in the summer and then we'll see what happens there but it's, it's going to be an interesting one because I think he uh he's definitely got potential but um the Arsenal left back spot is very full at the minute but you know things can change very quickly so we'll see what happens on that one it's a, it's a tricky one to to make a definitive answer on right now yeah, it is tricky. Obviously, there's still games to be played this season and, and what happens at the end of the campaign, we'll wait and see. But he's got two years left on his contract, I believe, runs out in 2025, um, unless there's an option uh, that we've got. Is it three? three? I looked at Transomart this morning and said 2025. Um, do we have an option to extend by a further year? Is that right? I, I, I'd i have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's three. But Okay. Maybe we can get this challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because, uh, yeah, I don't want to don't put out any misinformation, but I, I think it's three. Okay, so it might be that there's a, an additional year in that deal or, or they've got it wrong. Um, we'll have to wait and see what Arsenal do with him, of course, in the summer uh, and move uh, from that point forwards. But he's an, he's an option. I think Arsenal got a great chance to make a profit on. They only spent £7 million on him in 2021. So you'd hope that they'd be able to start adding some profits to their their books regarding player sales. Uh, We'll wait and see. Uh, Okay, let's go to, as I said, because it is an international break. Uh, We've got the opportunity to go through a fair few more questions without being an Arsenal game to discuss this weekend. Uh, I'll kick things off. Uh, Interesting question here from Ams on Discord who says, has Zinchenko really been this huge revelation for the team or is it more a case of Arteta finally getting the right player for his ideal system, if that makes sense. I love him, but I do feel we overhype slash overrate him sometimes and overlook how often he gives the ball away, for example. Um, (laughs) I think Zinchenko is a very, very, very good player and I think what he's done for this Arsenal side, I think. I think the the, the question answer is kind. The question asker, sorry, is kind of um, 
shot himself in the foot by saying, is he the perfect player for Arteta's system? Well, yes. So then I guess everything else to me feels kind of irrelevant. I think if he's perfect for Arteta's system and Arteta's the manager of Arsenal, then it doesn't really matter. And if that brings the best out of him and he then brings the best out of the players, then that's huge. Um, obviously, the soft factors in terms of the leadership, we all see that every week, the impact he has on the dressing room, the the talks that he does during games, the, the constant shouting, the support from the touchlines when he's not on the pitch, all that kind of stuff. I think that's massive. And obviously, he's brought that title-winning mentality from Manchester City. He's, he's clearly a leader. We see that when he's away with Ukraine as well. So I think Zinchenko has been nothing short of superb in terms of his impact on this Arsenal side. And I think there's, you know, there's definitely an argument that Arsenal wouldn't be in the position they are in terms of, you know, potentially going on to win the Premier League without his influence. So I think he's been huge and I do think he's been transformative. If you look at how Arsenal weren't able to control games last season, a lot of it, they were, I guess, holding on towards the end of matches. Now they really glide through games and they really excel in matches. And I think Alexander Zinchenko has been a huge, huge part of that. And I don't think we should underestimate that. No, neither do I. Uh, I think that he's been exceptional. I, I don't think I'd ever kind of expected Arsenal ever to use a left-back in this way. I never foresaw this as something that Arteta was going to do, to be honest. Even when I saw kind of the development of Joao Cancelo, for instance, at Man City, I never thought with Kieran Tierney being at the club that we'd be drastically changing the personnel there and using someone differently there. It's just... Arteta, I think, has surprised a lot of people with that. And uh, he's pulled it off successfully. Uh, very successfully indeed. Do you have a question? Yes, I do indeed. Um, so this one's from Mark O'Connor, who is Marcus Maximus, Marcus underscore Maximus underscore on Twitter. Uh, if we, being Arsenal, get Declan Rice or someone with similar attributes in the summer and Patino seems unlikely to uh, see many minutes outside of the Carabao Cup next year, with that in mind, would you look to loan him out to a, a significantly better championship side or would you look to keep him and integrate him into the squad? Is that sorry? Which player? Charlie Patino. Charlie Patino. Um, yeah, we actually had um, also just while that question's up, we had a question as well uh, on Patino uh, from where is it? Uh, the question was basically asked, yes, it was from Bakary Lasagna, which is one of the best named people I've seen. Uh, what would your solution be to the Patino question? Integrate him into the squad and risk him not getting enough minutes or progress to a, uh, put him into a mid-table team on loan uh, to progress? And if alone, where would you send it? So, you know, it's it's really tough because I think, unfortunately, since Mick McCarthy's arrived at Blackpool, that's one of the worst things that probably could have happened. You know, Mick McCarthy is... A decent manager and he's you know obviously stayed in the game a very very long time indeed but stylistically yeah he was patino was far more suited to uh the blackpool that were starting out this season and even though the had to change managers throughout the campaign the manager they brought in is very much a designed to kind of keep them in the championship and clubs that are desperately trying to claw away at guessing points to keep them in divisions don't tend to play the most elaborate Arsenal-esque type football. Um, and I think Patino, unfortunately, is going to be a bit of a, a victim of that. Uh, he was sent off in their game against Car against Swansea, I think it was, um, in which he was, I think they lost 2-1 in that game. Patino was sent off and he received a lot of backlash uh, from that fixture. 
from their fans. Uh, I know there was a couple of articles highlighting a lot of things that were said on social media about it. But at the start of the season, he was really, really loved. Um, was getting chants made up about him almost immediately. I think I got told that he was visiting uh, supporters clubs in Blackpool quite a lot as well um during his early months with the team as well not I don't know if that stopped or not but certainly he was doing that at the early time in the club when I was speaking to supporters there and I think that next season I just I don't necessarily see enough minutes in the team as I may have seen six months ago when he was performing at a level I think he'll be coming in in the summer maybe a little bit deflated with how his loan might be ending with Batpool and I think maybe he does need that next step up, similar to how Saliba took that next step, went from Saint-Étienne to Nice and then went up to a, a side competing in Europe with, with Marseille. And I think that maybe Patino needs to take that next step on loan um, before we consider bringing him into him. We've also, you know, we're looking to renew Granit Xhaka's contract. Thomas Partey's still got a couple of years left and there, there could be even discussions about extending his deal. We've brought in Jorginho as well, and uh, Patino tends to play deeper in the midfield as well. Uh, can play as an eight, can play as a six. So I don't necessarily see the obvious option and pathway through him at the moment. And maybe a season on loan with a Premier League side would be the way forwards. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'll just stick up for him a little bit in the sense that I think his... his <laughs> I'm not his... bashing the guy. <laughs> I think his loan at this most recently is um, it started to pick up a little bit before the international break. Obviously, um, since Mick McCarthy took over, it was a little bit different. But he's he sort of moved from a, maybe a slightly deeper role into a, a more advanced role. And I think McCarthy's got them playing with a, a three-five-two now, which I think mm. does allow him to get forward a little bit more. And he got a couple of assists against QPR in a six-one yeah. win for Blackpool, which I think was a very good day for them. And he's obviously. He's a very talented player and he's an all-round midfielder. And um, I think lots of people had him pinned down as a potential six. Maybe he's someone who could, you know, influence the game slightly further forward. It's quite rare that you see players of his age playing in such deep positions. And I think we have to bear in mind with Patino, he's still only, what, 19 years of age. He's very young and there's players who don't necessarily burst onto the scene until a little bit later. Um, I, you know, there's plenty of those. None of them are coming into my mind right now because I've got a bit of a, an ill brain, I think. But... I think he's he's definitely got um, something, a future. It's, it's a tricky one, though, because he has two years left of his contract at Arsenal. And do Arsenal look to try and offer him a new deal now? Would he accept that? Um, his wages, I think, aren't necessarily the greatest because it's his first contract and they, off, they had that two-year trigger, which they did. And maybe if Arsenal would look to get that deal done around that time when he was playing in the first team against Sunderland and starting against Nottingham Forest, maybe they would have been able to get that deal done then, but they've left it a bit late. And I think that does put Arsenal in a bit of a difficult position in terms of tying him down. And it's tricky to keep him on, <laughs> sorry, for another season. And then you sort of, once you get to the end of that season, he'll have one year left on his deal. And then you can't really learn him out. So it's sort of a sell or keep mm -hmm. kind of thing. And would he want to stay if he's not played for a year? If you sell him, you're selling him for a lot less than he's worth because he's not played for so long. And it's tricky. I'd definitely look to to get him game time next season if he wants to do that. If he doesn't want to stay with the first team, I definitely would look to get him some game time. And I agree with you in that sense. I think a Premier League loan for him would be superb. And um, I think he needs uh, he could do with a lot of game time. He's getting good experience at Blackpool. I think it's important for young players not necessarily to have it all their own way going up to the first team, but... He's definitely someone who I think is on the on the right path and hopefully things start to pick up for him between now and the end of the season because there's definitely a, a, a talented player there. But you do wonder with all the Declan Rice rumours, obviously Jorginho's come in, 
Sammy Laconga still at the club. Uh, Partey still there. Erdegaard, Vieira, Smith Rowe. I'm sure, sure there's ones I'm missing in terms of the list. El Nenny's still there. So plenty of midfielders for him to compete with. And it's not going to be easy breaking into that Arsenal midfield if he does come back. So, yeah, I think I agree with you that uh, maybe another loan would be would be smart. Sure. Um, have you got one at hand, or do you want to? Hold on, that was yours, wasn't it? I was just yeah. trying to steal in with the questions now. Um, <laughs> we've got the classic like transfer lines that have come in always. Uh, we've covered Rasmus Hoyland, uh, but Denny uh, at Denny underscore Sherlock says uh, any transfer update regarding Gabri Vega, uh, Celta Vigo forward, or Brahim Diaz, uh, AC Milan. Both of them are attacking midfielders and have been linked to us. We've been linked to a number of attacking midfielders of late. Even though Arsenal have Erdegaard, Smith Rowe, Vieira. We continually find ourselves linked. I find it a bit shocking. I don't really see Arsenal going for an attacking midfielder in the summer, do you? No, I don't. And I, I can't say I've heard of Gabri Vega myself. And Brahim Diaz, I remember him from being at City. So maybe that's where that link's come from. People have maybe assumed Arteta, Milan, Titi and sort of put two and two together there. But um, what do I think? In terms of the attacking midfielder positions, I do think Arsenal are, are relatively well stocked. As we were just saying there, there's a bunch of midfielders. There's, like you were saying, Smith Rowe, Vieira, Erdegaard, uh, Xhaka, potentially Declan Rice coming in. Uh, Trossard can play in that position. Uh, you know, there's loads of options that they have to play in those eight roles. And yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Arsenal went in, just given that they need to spend money elsewhere in the squad. And obviously, budgets will be limited, even if they do win the Premier League or have that Champions League money. Budgets will, you know, have a restriction. They're not, you know, blank checks. So I don't think it's top of the priority list right now. Maybe if, if one of those attacking midfielders moves on, perhaps if, I don't know, if someone like an Emil Smith Rowe were to move on, but I can't see that happening myself this summer. So I'd be surprised if, if Arsenal got a, uh, another attacking midfielder in. Yeah, I'd be very, very shocked indeed. Have you got a question to hand? Yeah, let's go. Uh, we sort of, so we sort of asked this in the first part, uh, but maybe we'll drill a bit down into it, and especially given that you've done an article on it. Um, the right back position, and this is from Mohamed Memon, who's at Memon Memon Mia on Twitter, and he oh, says yes. on the right back situation, uh, what are the alternatives to Ben White or Pardon me, structural adjustments that Arteta would have to make if White is unavailable. Yeah, as I said, the, there is an article out at the moment on Football London going into kind of why I think Saliba is the the obvious candidate at the moment. As we've discussed, I think that stylistically is closer to what we've we've had with White and and Tommy Asu. I think it means you have to change the least amount of things. You know, if you're if you're moving Partey there, you're taking arguably our most important player out of a position where he desperately needs to continue in. Um, and Jorginho is coming in. I like Jorginho, but of course there is a gap between him and, and what Partey produces. And you're asking Partey to play a position that, yes, he's played in before, but he's not obviously very comfortable. Or well, I say not very comfortable. Who am I to assess that? But he's not you know, very familiar recently with playing that position. Um and then the other options are player left back there, which you'd think would be Zinchenko because he's so good at using his, his both his, his right and left foot. But then you're taking out a very important part of that left-hand side who's done so well in, in that inverted role. Will Tierney provide that same? Can you shift over the inverted nature to the right-hand side with Zinchenko seamlessly in the last 10 games of the season? I don't know. I just think that Saliba moving into there... It's the least, it's the least chaotic option, um, the least drastic option. And I remember, was it Arteta said about when he brought 
Benketia in that you moved him to the left wing with Jesus because it meant changing the least amount of things in the forward line. So I think maybe if you play Rob Holding at right centre-back and you play Partey in DM and then just move Saliba right, it doesn't change too much about his structure. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. One ridiculously outlandish option, which will never happen, is, of course, Bakayo Saka could move mm. back into the defence as he's done in the past. But I think you could... Bruce Nelson. Up. Let's throw him in there. <laughs> yeah. That's possible. I'd say that's more likely, to be honest. Though, more but, likely than Saka. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, why not? Potentially. Just those, those options are there. But again, like we say, none of them are ideal at this stage. And I do think that is a bit of a problem for Arsenal, yeah. Mm, it is. Uh, Nkomo at Show Me Three on Twitter says, "If and when, which is already too much of tempting fate for me, Arsenal win the league, uh, where would this title rank amongst other titles in the Premier League era, not just Arsenal's titles?" Rank in what sense? In terms of so, like how impressive a league win it is. It says it's not just Arsenal as well. It's like you know, you think about the Centurions, you think about Leicester's league title. Um, Treble winners, I guess, is Premier League era as well, isn't it? So, yeah, you can talk about them. Um, Invincibles, where would it rank? Um, I think it would rank quite highly in the sense that no one really saw it coming. Uh, Maybe objectively people might look back and say Chelsea weren't the force that they have been in previous seasons. Same with Liverpool. Man United were in a period of transition, but I I don't think that's an argument to criticise Arsenal with. I think Arsenal have been the most consistent side in the Premier League this season, which is why they're top of the Premier League as things stand. And if they go on to win, then... So, sorry, that'll be why uh, they they are the crowned Premier League champions. So, I think it'll be up there. Um, I think it's a massive achievement if you look at the, the amount of money spent in comparison to other teams in the top flight, I think Tottenham spent more than Arsenal this summer, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously we've seen what's happened to them this season and you see what happened to Arsenal this season. And people talk about spending big money as if it's like a guaranteed one-way ticket to success. And that's not always the case. You have to spend it in the right way. And Man United are another example. They spent quite a bit of money on Anthony, for example. And it's not quite worked out, I think, as much as they would have hoped immediately, given the £90 million they spent on him. So, yeah, I think... Uh, it would be it would be pretty high. I don't think it's better than the Invincibles or Centurions or maybe Treble or any of that kind of stuff. But to be honest, I, I think it's kind of pointless to compare. I think the most important thing is that it's a really enjoyable experience for Arsenal fans and no one saw it coming, which makes it even better. And yeah, I'm very much of the opinion that just enjoy the ride and it will come, I think, along the way. All the success will come. Don't worry about that. Just enjoy it as much as possible. But if you'd asked me that in the 96th minute against Bournemouth, I probably wouldn't have given you such a philosophical answer. So it's very easy <laughs> in the international break to, to talk like that. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think it's a brilliant achievement. I think in terms of Arsenal league wins beyond even the Premier League uh, era, you know, the obvious comparison is with 89 because in 89, Arsenal were going up against a ridiculous juggernaut of success in, in Liverpool that season. And this season, Arsenal were going up against a, the modern day version, if you like, of a dominant footballing force in the Premier League in Manchester City. It's I hope it doesn't have to go down to the last game of the season in that kind of way. Um, I hope that it's kind of wrapped up before that. But 
I do think that in terms, and that obviously was a surprise to see Arsenal win it arguably that season over Liverpool as well in 89, as it would be a surprise to see Arsenal win it over City this season. I think it would for me just be above that and it would be below the Invincibles in terms of a league win. It's an incredible achievement, not only because of obviously it being a surprise, but because of the the age profile of the squads, um, the, the age profile of the manager, uh, how kind of this project and process has come together in the last three and a bit seasons. Um, and obviously finishing fifth, you know, the, the previous season and then eighth, the, the, the two before that to go from eighth, eighth, fifth, first would be an incredible journey. So, yeah, I think it would be just under the, I say the word just like it's it's easy to contextualize it, but it would be under the Invincibles and I think just above 89 for me. Um, I see you nodding, so I'm hoping that's maybe an agreement. <laughs> is an ag- I'm just, uh, the, the thought coming into my head, which made me laugh, was how much Gary Neville will hate it if Arsenal do. Uh, I'm sure he'd find a way to play down that success for sure yeah yeah or just try and claim that it was all reverse psychology and he did it for the benefit of the club maybe that's very generous of him very generous (laughs) Uh, yeah along the title winning potentially Mm. uh, theme another question from Dana Gazora who's at Dana Gazora on Twitter says hello Tom and Kaya personally I'd go nuts if Arsenal win the Premier League this year I'd like to know how you guys would react to Arsenal winning the Premier League yeah I mean go nuts is is pretty accurate um I mean, if if there was a camera on me and Kaya for that Bournemouth game where, where Nelson <laughs> scored, um, I mean that's just one game. So you know, and, and I say the Nelson goal, the infamous press box at the Aston Villa game was pretty special as well. Um, yeah, I, if Arsenal, it depends on how you know, because obviously if you if you win the league because another team beats City and that gives you the points difference, it wouldn't matter like when Leicester won it and Chelsea beat Spurs. Um, I think Liverpool won the league because I think City dropped points as well in, in one game. So it, I don't want that to happen. I hope Arsenal win the league if they do. Obviously, I hope Arsenal win the league. But if they do win the league, I hope it's done through our own actions rather than City dropping points here and there. Obviously, I'm going to be delighted either way. But you do want to be able to do it yourself and have that moment of winning the league or scoring a goal that wins the league and something like that. Yeah, I'm going to... I will very professionally finish my shift um, and uh, enjoy myself afterwards. So, yeah, that's what I will do. It's a good policy. It's a good policy. My my big question, and I've no idea if it's even worth talking about because I'm very much, I'm fully aware of the fact that we are jinxing Arsenal to high heaven with this conversation. But um, I, I think my big question is, what do we do for the trophy parade? Uh, I'm sure Football London will have us covering it, but I'm not sure how much coverage you can really give of a trophy parade. So I don't Lots know. Lots of people are drinking and enjoying themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I, I wonder if my, my illness may mysteriously come back that day. I hope our bosses aren't listening. But um, I wonder... In context, I wonder if... our bosses are Tottenham fans, so the likelihood of that happening is... Uh... <laughs> it's incredible. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, of course. It's, it's going to be very difficult to... Uh, maintain your emotions it's one of them where I think and I've, I've been asked about this a few times actually in terms of being a journalist and a fan uh, in in the press box and having to I guess find that line and, and not tread over it it's hard I've never been tested as much as I have this season in terms of the amount of dramatic wins that Arsenal have managed to to get over the line the amount of 
uh, emotion that seems to go into every victory. It's very difficult to detach yourself from that. It's very difficult to not get caught up in it. And then sort of minutes later, compose yourself, go into a press conference and ask questions which are, you know, often quite serious or quite, uh, you know, not in keeping with the emotional tone you've just been experiencing only moments later. So it's 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 very difficult to to do that at times. And if Arsenal win the Premier League, I don't know. I think I'll struggle. I think the Bournemouth game was 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 very difficult uh, in that sense. And we were both sat next to each other. We were both very happy. But um, it's going to be tough. I think um, I, I I would love for all the fans inside the Emirates to enjoy it. Every inch that I can't enjoy it as much as them, I'd love them to enjoy it for me. So yeah. I, I need you guys, all all you guys listening, to to carry my burden of the weight. I think because it's going to be a, a very, very, very difficult one to to hold in. Yeah, that the fan the fan side of things is something that often it's it's a genuine challenge. I'm such a people watcher that like during games, I'll find myself like before I started working, like if I'm going to a game, I'll find myself just like watching fans for minutes on end and just completely missing the game at moments. And there's times this season where I remember just like watching like the fans at the start of the Crystal Palace game, just being distracted by the the flares and things like that. If Arsenal win the league, like the 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 atmosphere, the, the celebration, it's going to be something to behold. That, that Bournemouth game and the post, the full-time whistle, that Bournemouth game was incredible. I've never seen the Emirates like that before it was a complete unison of kind of a family celebration of just relief because of what, obviously it wasn't like a game against one of our big rivals. It was one of those where Arsenal teams of the past have fallen apart and haven't been able to get it back. And in a season of all seasons, they've scored this late on in a season where we've scored so many late goals in games. Um, You know, you go back to the Man United game, which was again, very special. Aston Villa game away from home. Um, you go back to the Fulham game at the start of the season when Gabriel scored. You know, there's lots of examples this season of Arsenal doing and, and leaving things late and and that's made it special. I mean, even though the Saka penalty wasn't necessarily late, late against Liverpool, even that moment was was big and relatively late on in the game. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be... I, I'm saying going to be because I, as tempting fate goes, you're pushing it to the limit here. But if it does happen, it's 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 going to be very special, and it's certainly I think the main reason why we obviously want our team to win the league is because we get to experience that moment, and so we're longing for it to happen so that we can hopefully experience what that's like, alongside bragging rights and Twitter argument debates being put to rest as well, of course. Um, but yes, um, I think I've got potentially uh, one more question. Um, although I went off the screen, so that's rather annoying. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dana, uh, at Dana Jazora on Twitter says, uh, Hey, Tom and Kai, I love the podcast from Kenya. Uh, what games left do you think will be the most crucial if we want to win the league? I mean, the obvious answer is City away. Um, but outside of that game, which games do you think are going to be the most important? I think Newcastle away scares me the most. Um, More than Anfield? Yeah. I think really? I'm not going to Anfield expecting Arsenal to win. And I think it's it's early enough in the season that if they do struggle in that game, that they can recover. And obviously they already have the eight point lead and all those kind of things. Whereas the Newcastle game, I think if I'm not mistaken, is the third last game of the season. I think it goes Newcastle Forest Wolves. I, I, I'd have to, maybe you can check that, but. Brighton. Oh, yes, Brighton. So it's Newcastle, Brighton, Forest Wolves. Yeah. Okay. But it's late enough in the season where I think it could be a case of if Arsenal drop points at Newcastle, that could be a hammer blow to 
to the title hopes, whereas the other ones do feel like they're early enough that you can recover. So, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be difficult for for Arsenal to recover if they if they struggle. And Newcastle are a, a tricky team to to really put your finger on because I think they have dropped off massively in form in 2023. And I think honestly, given the attacking talent they have in that side, that doesn't surprise me. But they're very good defensively and they're very good at home. So difficult one and I think Arsenal could struggle in that game so that's the one I look at and Brighton at home obviously again legacy of last season where Arsenal struggled and Brighton being a very good side and potentially going for top four so you know that's going to be difficult they're going to be yeah difficult teams Arsenal have you know not the easiest of run-ins I think that's that's definitely something we, we can we can agree on yeah, interesting. Obviously, we we don't. Have, I think City have an, a slightly easier run in than us in terms of the Premier League. But do you think that their involvement in the Champions League and the FA Cup probably, if anything, swings it back in Arsenal's favour? I think that would be the case for any team who weren't Manchester City. I think the fact that they have a sixty million pound backup in every single position pretty much means that they'll be okay. Um, mm. It's really frustrating, but that's the level of juggernaut that you have to compete with if you want to win the Premier League. I think that's just the reality of it. City are a financial beast and that means they can have quality, quality players back up in every single position even if Haaland is out injured, Julian Alvarez comes in or Phil Foden plays false nine or De Bruyne plays false nine or Silva plays false nine. Like They've got a ridiculously good squad. So I don't yeah. think it would have too much of an impact on them if I'm being honest. I think they'll they'll be okay. Right. So Erling Haaland, of course, uh, has been receiving treatment apparently in Barcelona um, this week after suffering a groin issue. Said quotes from his dad are, it will be touch and go regarding his involvement against Liverpool. So we'll have to wait and see. Are you? Have you got any more questions? Or yeah. Are we... yeah. One more on Facebook, which I think is quite an interesting one, uh, which is, if Arsenal do sign Declan Rice this summer, do you think they'll bring him in as a six or an eight? Uh, we've had this debate with Samuel Conga many a time, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what do you think their plans are for Declan Rice? Obviously, we reported on Football London that that deal's getting closer and closer and uh, Arsenal are, I think, you know, looking good. I wouldn't say it's definitely over the line at all because there's a lot of work and it's very early on still, but it's looking uh, positive and I think Arsenal are, are hopeful that they can get that one done. So, yeah, if he does come in, is it a six or is it an eight? Genuinely, I don't know. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I'm such a fence-sitter on this. Um, the thing is, like Thomas Partey is just so good at that position and he doesn't look like, you know, slowing down. He's, he's reached his dirt. He doesn't look like he's going to be declining. You know, I don't see that. Uh, I don't see Rice, you know, ousting him um, necessarily. And obviously, we brought in Jorginho as well, um, who provides depth in that position too. So I think that Rice may be looked at as someone that could take on the athletic left eight position um, and play with Partey, offering us something in, in both directions um, and be seen as that guy. Obviously, he has played the defensive part of the midfield in West Ham for a long time in that team. I think if they're if they're bringing him in and he is going to operate in that left eight role, it's because they feel they've done the analysis and the research and the scouting suggests that he's got the characteristics to be able to do that um, and to kind of mould him into that potential player. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But, you know, I remember when Liverpool took Wijnaldum from uh, Newcastle was kind of a he was very attacking when they took him and he remained a forward-thinking player but he kind of merged into more of an eight position at Liverpool in that team and became a better player for it and I think that just because someone plays in a specific role in one team when they're brought into a bigger side it doesn't mean that that's going to be the role that they 
specialising for that team or that the team they've now gone to can't get even more out of them in another position. So I try not to shoehorn players too specifically into roles based on where you've signed them from. And I'm quite open to seeing what he brings in, in the midfield. What about you? I was very much of the opinion that he would be an eight. I was very much of the opinion that he would be competing with Granit Xhaka for the reasons you outlined. Obviously, Jorginho has been brought in in January and Thomas Partey is the first choice in that position. But when you watch him for England and you watch the way he plays and the way he sort of splits the two centre-backs and the way he drops into that back three at times in possession and dictates the play from deep, and I've got an article coming out on this today, actually, uh, the way he distributes it out right a lot of the time, um, the way he plays forward, it's it's easy to see how he could be a six. I don't think he's as good on the ball as Partey, but maybe if he comes into a team that's better on the ball and he works with better coaches and coaches who are more focused on that kind of thing, maybe that will sort of help him ingratiate into that side of things. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, he can definitely play both, and I think you're right. It could be a case that maybe Arsenal bring him in and the first couple of years they use him as more of an eight and then they would draw him into being a six, a bit like City did with Rodri. So... I don't know. It's going to be going to be an interesting one if Arsenal do bring him in, and he's definitely a very good player. And you see that in the England shirt, and you see that in the West Ham shirt every week. And I'd be very excited if Arsenal do get that deal over the line. I think this though, because of the length of time that this has been talked about, the longer Arsenal fans have started to have to get a bit bored of it and start thinking he's overrated, and he gets he's gets a lot of stick actually. I think, and there's a lot of Arsenal fans that that aren't as keen you know, to necessarily see Arsenal spend 70, 80 odd million quid, if that's indeed what it takes to bring him in, I, I think it would be a great signing. Uh, I remember speaking to Charles Watts about it and I think he I think he said something along the lines of it would be the biggest, I think, Eng- I don't know if he said English, but certainly the biggest signing since Sol Campbell arrived from Spurs uh, in terms of like a Premier League move. And I, I'm trying to think of one that in the, a Premier League move we've made that would be bigger. Um it's tough to think of one, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, and that was a free. So, you know, imagine then spending 80-odd million on this one. Very interesting indeed. We'll keep you updated, of course. You can get all the updates on transfers uh, and all the latest on our information on it on London. Kaya, thank you so much, mate, for your time, as always. Thank you very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. You can find Kaya on Twitter at Kaya Karnak97. 97? It's definitely 97, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have that moment of, is it 87? <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm not 35. <laughs> Some people put random. I've got a friend of mine who's like 30, and he's got 99 in his thing. And he's like, yeah, this is, I don't like being 30. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Fair, fair enough. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough, mate. Um, so, yes, do follow uh, Kyra on Twitter at KyraKarnak97. Follow myself at Tom Canton Media, and you can follow all of our work over, as we've said, London. We'll see you, hopefully, uh, relatively soon and not as long as a break as we've taken this time for the next podcast. Uh, obviously, uh, rota and uh, work permitting, we will, of course, try and bring you on as soon as possible. Enjoy the rest of your international break. Try and find things in your life beyond football, of course, to keep yourselves entertained, and we'll be back with you very very soon. Uh, Stay safe, stay well, and as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way.